Today is April 21st, 2021. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Chesteko, Maki. My name is Red Thunder Woman. My English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the opposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony um, Nations of Wesley, Chiniki, Bearspaw Nations, the Dene from Sutina, and I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been kind to me on my Red Road journey. Uh, Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born here in Calgary, or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis is Michelle Elliott, a very English name, which has afforded me English privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Nice Dene. My father is so Canadian. I'm a daughter of the Mayflower, a daughter of the American Revolution, and I have an Indian Act and Post status card. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people or the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I am a native to Turtle Island and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Pinto Tine Indahe in Satu, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous as well as honoring the host as a guest and acknowledging our roles as treaty partners. My humblest apologies to Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that they can be cleared up as soon as possible. I don't speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share what I know as I walk down my Red Road journey. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening or watching and you can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel. You can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. So today I'm really honored to have Dr. Pam Roach with me. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, thank you. Um, sure. So my, my name is Pam Roach. Um, you don't need to use the doctor, that's okay. Uh, but I am Red River Métis from uh, St. Laurent, Manitoba. That's where my family is. That's where my mom is from. And that's where I am from originally. Uh, it's a historic Métis community on the shores of Lake Manitoba. My dad is actually a white British um, immigrant to Canada who moved here in the 70s, uh, but and I have grown up mostly in Treaty 6 and Treaty 7 territory, so I'm actually a member of the Métis Nation of Alberta. I'm actually also uh, an assistant professor in family medicine and community health sciences at the University of Calgary, where I work in brain and mental health services, Indigenous health equity, and anti-racism, uh, and, and have some some thoughts to share today. Really looking forward to, to our discussion and talking and, and talking about all these important things. Yeah, well, there's so much to discuss right now. Um, so I wanted to, I, I'm the best part about having this um, new way of communicating through podcasts is that now I can do like screen sharing. So I'm super excited to now everyone can see my my cheat sheet that I always use, but that's fine. Um, actually, there's two tweets that I wanted to show everybody specifically because I thought they were really important. So in 
just to give context to folks who are listening every other place in the world, Alberta is a hot mess in so many ways. Um, many of you know I ran for politics, uh, both municipally and provincially, because of the issues that I've seen here, especially against uh, Indigenous racism and Indigenous inclusion. I wanted to see huge shifts and changes now that we know about Indian residential schools and, and some of the previous reports that were prior to TRC. So anyway, our premier uh, was a federal cabinet minister and I knew he was anti-Indigenous from his record there. And now here he is the premier of my province and they decided that they were going to change the um, curriculum. And as a result, there was a huge group that began and lots of people were putting their two cents out there and i thought it was important to have uh, pam on today because you know she is an assistant professor at the university of calgary this isn't somebody who is an uneducated person in any capacity and you sometimes hearing it from other people is really important so i was really grateful that you were you know so active on twitter so that we could show everybody kind of what you were thinking here um so april 5th on I, that seems so long ago already, but it wasn't that long ago, and especially in the context of, you know, the years of curriculum built that the NDP was working on, that was then just gotten rid of, and then they claim they did outreach to like, I don't know, it was like 10 people, and like Chris Champion was one of them, and now we have a new curriculum, and we're all supposed to give feedback again, because they realized that they really messed up. But I know it'll go in one ear and out the other. But in case it doesn't, I wanted to talk to you as in, you know, some of the work that you've done about this, because obviously as you're Metis, I'm Dene, but you are so blatantly obviously seeing racism. I am, and we have people from different nations telling the government this, but they still don't seem to understand the gravity of it. So I just thought we'd start here with your April 5th uh, thread and um and just talk about that because here it was holiday monday <laughs> yeah holiday and i think you know it was a long weekend and there was a week off of school and instead of having some time to emotionally and and mentally recover from what has been a really stressful year for parents and teachers and educators and i think everybody aside from all the people who ended up in isolation for their their week off i think a lot of people were looking forward to just having a bit of a break and i think the timing of the release of the draft as well was was fairly inconsiderate of that um especially when we think about the the impact to to the mental health of all albertans i mean the school curriculum is something that affects a huge number of us um and then just feeling this obligation to actually go through it and i do want to say like i'm not I, I don't have a degree in education. I am not an elementary school educator. I am a university level educator. So um, I leave some of the, the, the appropriateness, the, the, the way that learning is structured for elementary school to those, those experts. Um, but I know that because of a lot of the work I do at the university level, talking about different forms of racism, different kinds of racism, that there's things that I can spot um, that maybe other people just aren't aren't used to looking for particularly in our in our society where we are very much socialized and trained to ignore different like certainly really deep kinds of racism um and so i want to to say like my my partner he actually looked at every single subject in depth so that we could provide detailed feedback to the survey um i looked 
I didn't look at every single subject. I focused on social studies. I did look at some of the other ones. I did look at math and fine arts and phys ed and wellness as well um, in detail. But I focused on the social studies curriculum because that's where I was seeing, just from what I was seeing initially, a lot of the harm was coming from. Um, I could see things the way, from my own perspective, the way um, Métis resistance was talked about and framed as rebellion and treason. And um, those are words that I remember growing up in Alberta in the 1980s and the 1990s. And those are, are hurtful, harmful words. Um, that create internalized racism, uh, that that make people not want to talk about about who they are and where they come from. Yeah, that's a trauma that uh, I, I um, was recently unpacking that with some folks from Lacombe talking about that because, um, you know, growing up and then having the Oka crisis or the Ganawage, um, the invasion of Ganawage, like that really affected me the way society put it out there the way media put it out there the way the teachers talked about it like we we don't talk about how the gravity of that and now you know and I know our children are going through a system that does that same type of um you know uh commentary that creates these internalized racism at the end of the day absolutely and I always share this story that I remember um I have my ancestors were um, I'm, my great grandfather, or I don't know how many generations of this, like my great great grandfather, my grandfather's grandfather, he was John Bruce, who was the first leader of the Metis in Manitoba. Um, so I'm directly descended from people who were quite heavily involved in the Red River resistance. Um, and I remember learning, we learned about Louis Rial in school, and we learned about the Metis rebellion, as it was called. And we learned that, the, you know, he was hung for treason. and Sure, it led to the province of Manitoba, but really, it was quite bad that that these people were treasonous and and they deserved to be executed. Um, and then, like, it's sort of thinking about then having to do the next assignment, which is, hey, bring in your family tree, and we're going to do a presentation to the class about where you come from, and not realizing that there's Indigenous learners in the classroom and Indigenous students. And we were talking to our own kids about they hear us talking about the curriculum. Um, and we were talking about some of the problems and I said, you know, that these are, these are things that are the way they talk about Indigenous people is that we don't exist anymore, that we're, we're relics of the past. And my son was like, what? I'm not extinct. I'm not a dinosaur. <laughs> I exist. And he's seven, right? And I was like, yeah, you do exist. And, and he'll stand up in his classroom and, and say that. Um, and, you know, so I think I, I've looked at it. Um, there was a little bit of pushback on, on Twitter I got from people saying, oh, well, it doesn't say in the TRC that it needs to be included. And, and I think I included a screenshot of the actual calls to action where it says it needs to be included in age appropriate ways. Um, for that just upsets me because like well. I have a whole uh, volume of TRC on Métis. I have a whole volume of it. I don't, I guess I don't have it right here, but like how um, I, I had that same pushback when it came to Langevin. Uh, and, and it's so funny because the community association presidents are always like, oh, my God, how come we can't get any type of, um, you know, diversity at these in, in our community associations? And I had a community association person like push back at me being like, well, in, I've read the TRC and it doesn't say that in Bridgeland uh, in Calgary, Alberta, we have to change Langevin school. That's not in the TRC. And I'm like, 
I don't understand how you could possibly tell me you read the TRC and not understand the spirit of TRC. So for somebody to say that to you, like just illustrates how either they didn't read it and they lied to you or they did read it and they have zero comprehension skills because that you can't read this and not understand the gravity of that, of what you just said. And then to have your, your point of view dismissed and you're a damn professor at the University of Calgary and see people are still trying to dismiss your, your point of view on that, plus your Métis. So like, that's like triple problems there. I don't understand how Canadians think that they can just like actually, or, you know, just to play devil's advocate here, I, I don't understand how they don't see that's racist. Well, and I think that's, uh, you know, it's funny because, you know, we talk about Orange Shirt Day. We have Orange Shirt Day um, every year. And I don't understand how people expect that to be able to go ahead and, and not talk to grades K to four about the TRC, about residential schools. Like, what are they going to think it's about? Um, and I think it's, it makes people so uncomfortable, right, to think that these things were done and to, to realize the ramifications of them. Um, but I just, I found it, I found it shocking that, and everywhere I looked through the curriculum, you know, Indigenous people were referred to in the past and um, as if, as if we're not people, modern contemporary people living and contributing to society, as if there wouldn't be Indigenous teachers teaching this material. Um, as if there wouldn't be Indigenous students sitting in the classroom. I think the use of the quotation marks around the word survivors um, from residential schools is really harmful too, because there'll be children of survivors of residential schools in those classrooms who are now feeling that their family's experiences is completely, are completely invalidated. And so um, I think it was quite, it was quite shocking. I think even when we we look at the way, so the, the kind of racism that I really, really saw was what we call epistemic racism, where we only privilege one worldview or one way of knowing. Um, and that was so clear to me, because if we think about Indigenous people being represented as no longer really existing, no longer really contributing to society, as things, and things, not even people, but things that existed in the past, then that validates the current approach that validates the economy, it validates resource extraction, it validates erasure, it validates the way the system is set up to extract from the land. And it then totally suppresses the like First Nations sovereignty and OCAP and UNDRIP, right? So all of these rights, the, the rights for Indigenous people, if we frame our worldview like that, it completely erases those things. Um, and I know a lot has been said about that one piece of the curriculum where it says on a map of Alberta, please measure the distance from Regina to Duck Lake, right? So not only was that just factually impossible, um, but the fact that it was, you know, measure the distance, it was so important to include that this measure the distance between Regina and Duck Lake, even if you wanted to do it on a map of Saskatchewan, which is where you should be doing it. Um, to what distance did the Northwest Mounted Police have to travel to put down the Métis uprising, right? Like why was that unit of measurement in that incident phrased that way and used that way to teach about measuring distance? It was completely unnecessary um, and completely, completely harmful.
right? Yeah, in the opposite direction of reconciliation in any capacity, no doubt. So I, I, I couldn't agree with you and more about what you just said. I, um, I, I, there wasn't a, anything in that curriculum that I didn't find offensive though, like to even change the name of imperial units to Canadian units. Like I, I don't even understand, like they, they talk about, you know, cancel culture and erasure of history. Like you just made up a brand new term that's actually not even a thing. So how did, it was, there were so many levels of upset with that. So when you talked about this so-called distance of Alberta, which is all takes place in Saskatchewan, which is fabulous. Um, you know, I, I, I was, I kept thinking, so what is that in Canadian units? I wonder, like it, there was nothing that made sense about anything that it is literally revisionist revisionist history on his part of talking about, you know, and there, there wasn't anything factual in what he had to say there. Um, nothing with Canadian units is factual. There, that is not a thing that's never been a thing. So where that's coming from, I don't understand, let alone. Um, I, think, I think it's a term that, that exists, but I think the fact like all of us who have grown up here and learned here know that we have never used it. Let's, why introduce that when it's not going to be useful? And I think you know, the, the fact that the what is talked about about residential schools also focuses on the American residential schools and not not the Canadian system, right? So it's sort of like, let's look elsewhere to look at things that have happened, but then we actually don't have to take responsibility. We don't, like, it's not even, if we think about the TRC, we can't get to the R if we're not even at the T. No, right? and just to give perspective to listeners and such, like I graduated high school in 1994. The last residential school in Canada closed in 1996, just to give that perspective of how fresh and new this still is. So for him to try to erase, do this revisionist history of, you know, incorporating American history as a part of Canadian history about Indian residential schools, they don't even use the same terminology. Like here, their reservation, or uh, there, their reservations, here, their reserves. You know, there, their uh, Native Americans, here, were First Nations. You know, and the terminology itself, and I, I just say that because uh, the White Bison Society uh, program that I run, it was developed in the states so we're always doing that conversion of language like borders boarding schools to residential schools right those conversations and that's not even including day schools for that matter so yeah <clears throat> yeah and i think um so i went through it and sort of just saw all of these really like deeply deeply racist that that maybe some people and i mean that's we're only even talking about the indigenous point of view i think there's some very very harmful exclusionary things in there around um, LGBTQ2S plus populations, um, the fact that they've introduced the KKK in, in a very balanced way is frightening. Um, when you think again about students in the classroom or teachers having to teach that, it's so harmful. Um, but going through it and then, you know, thinking, I think I put like I had over a hundred and something PDF sticky notes on the PDF that we've downloaded. Um, and then hearing that, that, you know, the Métis Nation of Alberta, the Treaty 6 chief, um, their elder that had commented on the, on the development, everybody said, no, you did not listen to us. You did not incorporate our feedback. This does not represent what we, what we talked to you about, mm -hmm. right? So there was all of these voices saying, yeah, you may have talked to us, but to tick a box, but you still not done what we asked you to do in any way. 
Yeah, I seen that Wilton uh, Little Child, one of the commissioners for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission had spoke in favor of it, but I had read everywhere else that that was somehow taken out of context because he had said that um, years ago, like prior yeah. to this. So, so it was a quote about like, oh, it'd be great. Um, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a comment on the the draft that came out um, at all. And, and I think what's good to note too is when we look at the draft, I think it was 2018, the draft curriculum K-4 um, had come out and I believe that the NDP had been working on it, but they had continued a process that had been initiated by the previous conservative government. So it's not that they threw it out and, and said, we're gonna scrap it. Um, it was a long process because they were engaging educators and teachers um, and they had something so to, to completely, I just feel like it's becoming the education of our, of our children has become so politicized and now it's like, well, let's totally throw it out. Even though it, it was started by a previous conservative government, we don't want to be associated with anything um, that the last government did. So let's just totally throw it out. I mean, there's very problematic people that were, were involved. Um, and then I think there was, a, I watched, I actually watch, I don't typically all the time watch the question period um, from the legislature, but I did watch in this instance um, where they actually stated that they, Elder Betty, like the amount that they paid Elder Betty for her time. Um, and I thought that was really, it was unnecessary as well because you, it devalues like the, the time and the knowledge and the wisdom that someone is bringing with you. Um, and I calculated how much they did pay her per, per day. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't extortionate by any means. It was quite low compared to what, you know, I know that I, I would typically pay for an elder's time. And, you know, there's no assumption they incorporated anything that she said anyway. That's exactly. the other part, you know, what did she say? And, and was that really incorporated? But then it does, it does matter to point out that she was probably undercompensated for her work and, yeah you know how they chose who is going to get paid is another is and is its own process like we're, we're supposed to have the right people at these at these uh at desks and she may very well be qualified but what was the process because that was a, a lot of the criticism that i had heard that you know the pre previous uh, apprentice uh pc government rachel notley like they were really open about who were the contributors and this wasn't as transparent for whatever particular reason and that um and then once you know outcry happens and some information is leaked then immediately it's like oh this is how much we paid this one elder in order to speak and you know and i i you heard my intro i don't speak on behalf of all indigenous so you know for them to still not understand the amount of nations that there are in alberta and how much outreach really should be done which it sounds like they were trying to accomplish beforehand but i don't I don't know. It's just frustrating and, and awful because here we have a situation where the previous curriculum was completely inappropriate. The teachers now um, and their unions and, and uh, other educators just, you know, they don't understand the gravity of system, systemic racism and we need to be tackling that. And now we have a, a curriculum that perpetuates more racism, um, you know, revisionist history. And that's the irony from the very people that um, have this outcry of cancel culture so that they still are in able 
are unable to want to talk about truthful uh, history. And you had mentioned LGBTQ2+. I think that there wasn't a single mention of it in the entire curriculum. I remember reading that. And um, a, a real erasure of some of the Black history that we've had and uh, some of the other history. Um, Trent Daly's on uh, TikTok, and he's been doing some really great conversations about um, Muslims in Alberta as part of his Ramadan that he was partaking in. So, you know, like there, there does need to be a, an incredible shift in, in how we teach history to our youth. And um, for me, I mean, I'm in my 40s and I'm still unlearning what systemic racism is because it was taught, it's embedded in society, it's embedded in media, it's embedded in our education. And this is our opportunity to correct that. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I'm finding uh, the school boards, the teachers, the unions, because they don't understand racism. They're even kind of on board with what Jason Kenney is doing to some extent because they, they don't want to feel uncomfortable. So instead, they'll perpetuate racism on our children, us, our Indigenous children. And I know it's not just our children, it's all BIPOC. We're not safe. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the current issue that I think that we're facing. And, you know, my daughter, she's 13, she's going to be aging out of this system anyway. Um, but I really was hoping to be involved to help uh, correct it for the next generations. And I just feel like there's a, a willful decision to not do that. Um, even the Indigenous or BIPOC that post in like the this big Facebook group that um, was started, we don't get any engagement compared to the non-Indigenous. So it's been a real uh, disappointing exercise for me watching uh, you know, the incorporation of TRC into our education system when people are so resistant to it. And then, of course, have the audacity to complain about cancer culture. So um, just to go back to your uh, tweets, I just wanted to ask you um, I, I, a question I wanted to kind of put out there, because when I say it, I think it means something more when it comes from other people. It's just that, um, you know, you talked about looking at it when you had time off, the time you're supposed to rest, a vacation that you're supposed to have, but you never really did. I just want to ask you, what is it like as an Indigenous mother, as an Indigenous um, professional in an education system to see this type of like um, pol politicking? Like, how does that make you feel? And I only ask because I always talk about how it makes me feel, but it's it's better to hear it from other people so I'll, I will say, I think I spent most of last week just feeling sick to my stomach, right? Like the, the idea that this is what's being put forward um, to teach our, our kids and knowing of just how much, and I, I, I teach my kids at home. I, we talk about things, we learn things together, but like the undoing of some of those things that they would be getting taught is really terrifying. Um, and knowing that, you know, I know the, the views I'm white, passing i acknowledge that and that you know puts me in a position of privilege absolutely and part of that is that i've spent my life hearing the things people say about indigenous people um and i know the views that people have and so i think knowing that my kids so my husband is white british he's from england he i met him over there um so our kids are very very white passing um they have like sort of like freckles and um, they burn very quickly. <laughs> um, 
but knowing that then they would hear these things not only from people around them but in the in what they were learning was really really terrifying to be honest and i feel i, I still feel sick to my stomach um that that even if even if every school board in the province rejects it um to to the pilot that doesn't stop the government from actually just implementing it the next year and doing whatever they want anyway um and so that's that's scary and then for me as somebody who works in a medical school who who educates around anti-racism and educates around indigenous health um one of the things we look at is sort of you know what motivates when we get medical students into the school so people who who want to you know help people be well and and practice medicine what motivates people to want to work with indigenous communities or um you know in indigenous communities or with indigenous patients in urban settings what motivates those people and largely it's sort of the views that they they have before they enter post-secondary so their socio-political views before they even get to university is what will influence their perception of Indigenous health and of, of wanting to work with Indigenous patients to, to, in positive ways. Um, and so I think we can't underestimate the real impact that something like this will have on people down the line, on Indigenous patients, on Indigenous people seeking you know, healthcare. And we see those outcomes every day, right? We see what happens to people like Brian Sinclair. We see what happens to people like Joyce Eshaquan. We see what happened on Christmas Day, Boxing Day here in Alberta, right? Like we, those are, are real people who are being impacted by systemic racism. And that starts very early and it's very hard to undo once they make it to post-secondary um, at any level. And so the, the, power for a really well-constructed, really equity-based curriculum to have tangible impacts on, on people's health and, and, and lives later on is really important. Um, and that's that's something that I think we need to think very carefully about. I agree. Um, one of the conversations that I always understood racism under was all of the uh, Holocaust teachings that we were given when we were going to school. Is it true that they've basically taken out any um, references to World War II and uh, the Holocaust? You know, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> like it's yeah. so much. Um, yeah. I wouldn't be able to say for sure. I don't, I don't remember. But you know, like I think we, you know, we have some very, very good friends who are German and who live in Germany, um, and I think they are a great example of the need to continue to teach about things that that your country has done wrong um because they do they absolutely they learn about world war ii they learn about the holocaust they learn about everything that led up to it because we need to learn about these things we need to teach about them right so that we're in a better place moving forward um i don't know if you've seen but i was driving with my girl and we were um just driving down eighth ave and two guys did like a total hitler salute to me yeah and it was the same day that the confederate flag went up yeah um in union cemetery and you know i don't understand how we have people coming to this country who don't understand the gravity of what the holocaust was um you know my my um so on my white side my family actually did fight in world war ii um and i don't understand why people are glorifying nazis in a good way so and, and i was taught that i don't 
know if it's been taken out of the curriculum or not, but um, that bigger picture is that I think there are similarities there. You know, we are experiencing genocide in Canada because of colonialism and because uh, link, direct links to uh, Indian residential schools, that cultural component of losing your language and, and your culture. Um, and then, of course, actually, I did read a stat that it's you had a better chance of survival in World War II than you did um, attending Indian residential school. And that's how many like you know, thousands of graves there are associated with these. So like it's yeah. a genocide in both in both terms, physical as well as cultural. And um, I think that like when you look at the UN definition of genocide, it lists a number of points right to meet the definition and the process of colonization that's ongoing it absolutely it meets every single one of those right like the removal of children from their families that still happens um, controlling reproductive rights that still happens you know outlying language and culture I, and i think sometimes people don't realize like the impact that has the gravity that has um, but yeah i think for people to really sit and think if you're if you sent your children to school today and they had a 25 percent chance of like never coming home would you send them right to no. this day we have troubles getting um youth to leave the res to come to post-secondary education because of the amount of mmiw and issues of racism that we have here in the city you know um uh my, i had a family and and he just went to go pick up his sister at the c train 90 minutes he was dead in police custody you know like and every like the media, they don't cover it, you know. They don't. They're they're fine with that, and 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 it's really fitting the day after the verdict of um, mm -hmm. um, the the cop that killed uh, George George Floyd to be talking about that because I was just sharing um, the original way that it was reported about George Floyd's death, and then of course when the video came out, like such a contrast, right? Like white supremacy in media and then and then the reality and if it wasn't for global outcry would we have had this moment today i don't know um and it's really de depressing that the onus has to be on a bystander to record basically a you know 10 minute death in yeah. order for there to be even somewhat of of justice even being intimidated by the other police and and such to to quit recording so it's um it's a, a sad reality because there's so many George Floyds actually there's so many and we have ours here right in Calgary that are are indigenous that I can talk about and we had a whole you know above the law documentary documentary that came out about Calgary so and again this is all deep re rooted embedded racism that comes from an education system and a society that perpetuates the, this so it's um really important to talk about why this is making you feel sick to your stomach and why it's making me feel sick to my stomach because this is just going to be another you know two generations of of non-indigenous people looking down on indigenous yeah. because they weren't ever taught the truth by an ideological christian you know um i would call him fascist premier but you know everybody has their own definition of fascism so um and 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 it's voted on and i think that's part of my um, what I am most disappointed about, you know, as a community builder, as somebody who ran for uh, municipal and provincial government, really truly believing the best in people, that they wanted that good change, that, you know, people are still voting for racism. 
because Jason Kenney had a history of it federally, and yet he still got voted in. So I, I think that's part of the reason why I feel so sick about it, because regardless of the outcry, you know, this is what people voted for. So yeah, I remember the, the, the day of the election. And I don't, I'll be honest, I don't, I don't love like colonial politics. I do vote. Um, I don't, I don't love it. It feels all, it, all of it feels oppressive, right? Um, and it is but, rightfully yeah. so. I always tell people though, as natives, so like we have to, we have to know um, school trustees, we have to know municipal, we have to know uh, provincial, federal, we have to know Indian politics, like actual native politics, because there's two sets, there's traditional, and then there's the Colonial Indian Act imposed one. So there's all these different ones, and then times hundreds, because natives are not like a pan-Indigenous concept, right? <laughs> totally, and it's different everywhere. Yeah. Um, but I remember when the election happened, and I think what made me, you know, I, I, I've grown up out here, I know that it's a, it's a conservative place. Um, there's definitely a tension for me in that, but at this, I, I just felt, it, it beyond the party that got in, it was the fact that I could see so much, so many harmful things um, that could potentially happen, and just that they won so overwhelmingly, I think it almost hurt, right? It was, it, it was hurtful, but I think it's almost like just a wave that we've seen with events since sort of 2015, 2016 that have led us in this direction. And um, it's pretty frightening, but I, I also, I realize that we've been socialized growing up, we've been taught not to talk about these things. So I really appreciate these kinds of conversations because We've been taught if, it, if it's this uncomfortable, we're going to talk about about racism and what it means to be racist. And well, I'm not a racist, but this system is. What does that mean? And we've been taught just not to talk about it, right? We don't we don't have words to talk about it because we shouldn't, because we might offend somebody and it's uncomfortable. So I think we need to re-socialize ourselves to have these conversations because the only way we can we can affect change is by is by talking about it. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I really appreciate that too, because I was born and raised here. And in my 20s, I was really unpacking what sexism was, because that was way more socially acceptable to unpack. But it wasn't until I had my daughter and I experienced that systemic racism that I really started to be able to articulate what was happening to me. I'm not going to lie, I found it incredibly healing unpacking racism and finding the uh, concepts to talk to other people about it, because ultimately they were able to impose systemic racism through policy. There's no reason why we can't impose anti-racism through policy, but it's just a matter of getting people on board to understand that. Um, today's the day after the uh, verdict against the uh, fellow who killed George Floyd. And uh, all I'm seeing are people who are still, you know, debating whether or not George Floyd was a criminal. And I, I still, I like I cannot wrap my head around, you know, giving a white officer pass to murder somebody based off of your assumption of what um, uh, a criminal act is. Right. And even if somebody had committed a crime, um, I don't think that just I don't think any of us can say that justifies their death. Right. No. That doesn't justify the death. No, never. And, and I never thought I'd see yesterday come because I watched the whole, you know, Rodney King yeah. um, time 
and and going through that and I just thought I remember when A Time to Kill the movie came out and it was so adorable to see Matthew McConaughey like you know try to fight this fight and it's like this is not reality this is not how this works in any like it's just Hollywood perpetuating idea of racism that isn't even there because there's no such thing as a black man getting a fair trial and uh, yeah I just I just don't believe that's the case anymore um, actually, the opposite. I, I come from a completely different fri- frame of mind. Um, federally, we, we did pass a really great policy about systemic racism in uh, the justice system against uh, not just Black people, but Indigenous as well. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a policy I was really proud that we, we had passed. So I hope that, um, you know, good things come from that. It's hard to have hope because as soon as government is involved, then it's really bad. <laughs> so, but maybe, just maybe, we'll start making some substantial changes. And the irony is, TRC 57 is about anti-racism training for all government and public officials. And yet, um, the, you know, they haven't really owned that, that that uh, concept can be used in all of the anti-racism work that we're doing nationally and that being like hey this is us trying to do this one call to action that we're all supposed to do like we all win at this and there's uh you know lots of um reports that show the economic standing of especially indigenous women being at the bottom of the socioeconomic scale but that bigger picture that um without racism (laughs) that would change dramatically and we would be um you know and not just we as Indigenous people, but like the Canadian economy making more money just based off of uh, that lack of racism if we would, you know, uh, undo structural government policies that contribute to both the racist and sexist policies that contribute to undermining their economic success. Like these, it's in everybody's best interest to just not be racist, uh, especially if all you care about is money, not let alone the morals and the ethics of it. Oh, and I think with the anti-racism too, I think we focus and a lot of a lot of places focus on interrupting that interpersonal racism. So like when you see, you know, when you hear someone use a slur or you see someone be attacked for clearly racist reasons, and those are really important things just to to learn to interrupt. But I think there's less focus on the systemic piece, on the structures that reinforce everything, right? Yeah. And I, I, you hit it like exactly right in that if we address those things, actually there'll be improvements for everyone, right? If we create more equity, it'll, it'll be more equitable. It'll be better for everybody. Everybody, um, everybody will improve. And, and I have an um, amazing mentor who I work with. Um, and he always says, you know, the rising tide raises all ships, right? It's just that, that some people are in a yacht and some people are in a dinghy. And some people's boat has like holes in it and they've been trying to plug the holes. But if we if we work on the structures and the systems and you know all of those things that the, the mechanisms, the policies, all of those things that impact those structures and systems, um, then everybody will benefit and it will we'll see better health outcomes, we'll see better, you know, economic outcomes, we'll see better wellness, community-based outcomes. Um, for everyone but you know so like that's it's like all of these other all of these pieces together are what we what we need to do but I definitely see less of a focus and I think that's more just a less like a a not as deep of an understanding right it's harder to spot those kinds of racism that's why when I looked at the curriculum 
you know, it's not that they didn't, they didn't have like racial slurs in the curriculum. So people are like, it's not racist. What are you mm-hmm. talking about? But it's just the, the really deeply embedded racism um, in how we humanize and dehumanize certain people. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I was really grateful that uh, you took the time to, you know, just not just um, put those threads out, like you had many others as well, but also you had wrote to your MLA and you had wrote to them about the curriculum extensively and um and I I hope they take heed in that I know Jason Kenney was saying from the professors that had put it down saying oh well I hope they contribute to our you know outreach and it's like why you know what what how are you going to incorporate it how are you going to put that into it because he he just won't answer any of these questions and our mlas don't seem to come back with anything but a, a the same talking point so you know it's just copied and pasted whether it comes from mine or yours right so it's just yeah th- there's and- like no engagement with this government and that's why of course i call it fascist that and they blocked me from being able to you know have that dialogue that other people uh, are afforded so you know it's so fascist there's and i think there's um a trust issue as much as like you know we've submitted comments as parents um to on the in the survey and i'm sure thousands of other people have that there's there's a lack of trust because we've seen that they said they've engaged with different groups, but that hasn't been represented. And my own nation, the Métis Nation of Alberta, has said no. We 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 gave you advice and and feedback, and it's not incorporated at all. Um, you know, the Rupert's Land Institute wrote a letter saying that it wasn't appropriate, like it wasn't appropriate Métis inclusion. You know, we have all of these these people who have said no. You didn't actually include what I told you. And so I think there needs to be, there's just a lack of trust. Like if I tell you these things anyway, how do I know that you're actually going to listen? Yeah. Um, so right. I think it's a wait and see for that as well. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. And let us know if there's something cool that you want to share about that, because um, it would be really great if all of a sudden everything changed and they were really good to us and they incorporated everything we said and we actually were teaching our kids and that is what we do every single day is hope for the best and work at it so you know thank you for being on my show thank you for talking about what you went through because that that is a lot of like unpaid labor again that somebody else had to do for the government again because they won't incorporate what we say and that i think that's the worst part is that it bothers me that you know you are a professional um assistant prof at the uh, University of Calgary, you did all this unpaid labor for them. Will they even listen? So that bothers me, but it is what it is. And I know I appreciate you doing it on behalf of our people, on behalf of uh, the Métis, because, you know, it's another voice that amplifies amplifies both the Rupert's land, the uh, Métis Nation of Alberta, and many other like Indigenous folks like myself that were just offended. And I know, I know it's different for me. They don't listen to me because I ran. And that's been one of those things that I've been uh, struggling with was, was it worth running that now they won't even, you know, let me engage with them on social media, right? But it is what it is. So I appreciate you putting that effort in where some of us can't. Um, Anyway, I'm going to do my exit and you are welcome to chime in because I think, again, when somebody hears it from another person, it sticks differently. It sticks better. So I'm proud this podcast has given solutions and included cultural safety.
cultural first aid uh, to create a safer space for Indigenous people, people of color, LGBTQ2+, those with disabilities, and more. Uh, thank you, Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fritkin for creating heretohelp.bc.ca. What is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it? Uh, their work have those cultural action tools that I've said lots of times in my podcast. So please support their Indigenous work as part of your reconciliation work and settler understandings. I'm just lucky enough to highlight it here. We talked a bit about internalized racism and lateral violence today of how uh, the education system, society, media contributes to how in Indigenous people feel about themselves, but also knowing their peers are looking down on them. So that's um, another form of violence that Indigenous and marginalized people face by the structure of racism imposed on these lands. So I hope that was made really clear today if you didn't understand what I was saying up to today. What is Internalized Racism by Donna Bevins? That's another great resource I encourage people to read. And I encourage Indigenous people to read it too, or racialized people. Because sometimes by the proximity of whiteness, we end up uh, taking in some of this to be true when it's not. Do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by the American Friends Service Committee. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, that moment where you're on the C train and somebody's yelling racial slurs, but we also talked a lot about systemic racism and where I'm hoping that everyone sees their role in fighting systemic racism by writing their school trustees, writing their um, MLAs, writing their everybody. There's nobody you shouldn't be writing and having a relationship with. And I think that's what's most frustrating for me as a Indigenous person that I'm expected to have these relationships with all of my representatives when they don't necessarily want to have that with me because they've been taught to look down on Indigenous people through society, media, and our education system. If you see or experience racism, report it to Act to End Racism or text at 587-506-3838. Indigenous have been talking about the issues, sharing the traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized with their gender... Oh, so I always talk about the uh, budget with uh, Gender Equity Plus. And um, I'm just going to put a little shout out right now to Christiana Freeland in Albertan, who uh, is the first female finance minister. She put out the first female, um, or oh, the first budget. And uh, we actually have been calling it the she session. Yeah. Honey. <laughs> so, and anyway, it's the first time that we're actually seeing money um, being allocated towards childcare. And I think that that is the probably, <sighs> the most important thing to talk about in a recession and i think the ndp really gave albertans a bit of a taste of what that looks like and i know jason kenny uh hates justin trudeau more than i hate uh jason kenny but that bigger picture <laughs> that at least now um albertans can have some choice and i'm just going to give a shout out to ryan jespertson even though i have him blocked on facebook and twitter um he did have uh, Justin Trudeau on for 20 minutes yesterday. I watched the uh, podcast on YouTube and I thought it was a really great way for Justin Trudeau to give a middle finger to Jason Kenney and be like, I'll be there for Albertans through federal uh, programming. Uh, and he didn't slag Jason, uh, Jason Kenney, although he deserved it. So I was really glad he carried himself in a really good way, I think. And I hope it gives hope to people. 
to consider voting for a liberal instead of conservatives because they're so out of touch anyway um so i wanted to give a shout out to her so if they're cutting violence prevention program services indigenous education uterus health choices gay straight alliances have a lack of human rights for immigrants and uh, migrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that party directly impacts uh, marginalized people in a negative way. And obviously now we can, I can add to my uh, out piece here about if you're not investing in childcare, then that's also part of this because that's a bigger picture of if you want women to work, like. A, that's the other thing I don't understand. It like literally helps the economy to have people who want to work, work. And there's lots of people who can't work because they don't have the choice to work because of childcare. And I don't understand why this is such a difficult conversation for people to understand. Anyway, demand they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to actions, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on missing and murdered Indigenous women. Denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational justice and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. And we'll give a shout out to Dr. Pam Roach for trying to undo some of that awful work in the health institutions with the work that she does at the university. Uh, demand change from election platforms and politicians. They don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism. They literally have zero business running. Ableism, let's throw that in there too. Uh, this should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, and sports teams. A great article I read out loud is Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. Recommend reading that every day as your Bible studies. If you're experiencing emotional, emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about and want to talk, there's the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's 24-7. You can also text at hopeforwellness.ca. Uh, if more related to MMIW, then 844-413-6649 is a 24-7 crisis line that provides support for folks dealing with that. Again, if you see racism, act to end racism or text at 587 506 3838. And uh, there's also functioning 211s in most places. You can also call if you're in Canada, 833-456-4566 if you're experiencing distress from uh, anything I talked about. I want to give a shout out to lifevoice.ca for lots of LGBTQ2 plus uh, crisis supports. So they have uh, kids help on the LGBT youth line with peer support as well. And then there's a trans lifeline as well. I'll give all those rid uh, resources at the end of my podcast. Violence is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. Every Indigenous generation has faced it, and it's hard for us as mothers to watch our kids knowing they have this fight ahead of them. Uh, anyway, this is why I started the podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion sure want to tell theirs, even though they know nothing about colonialism, the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, our rights, or the racism that we face. Typical microaggressions. And then there are the Indigenous folks dealing with in internalized racism, who then become the gatekeepers or survive off the status quo. There are a lot of people in trauma and deplete a lot of personal resources as a result of that. 
internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people, and that's why I started this podcast. I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mama, what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian roots, and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian is through her, I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. Um, my husband Darcy produces and edits the show. He's been my childhood friend, my father of, the child, of our child, and my support down the red road. He's witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child who we are blessed to learn from daily, we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these issues. Uh, my Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those that cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. I also have a YouTube channel where you can subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And I want to end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. My beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. 